You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I got to tell you what, man, I just got a absolute shot of adrenaline here. Um, it's going to sound a little messed up when I tell you why, but <laughs> after I saw the Cliff Kingsbury firing, um, the reason is, and, and, and I really... I know the people that are gone are already gone, and I can't really reach out to you right now, but if you're thinking about bailing on the season, please don't. Please give the offseason a chance. All right? I'm telling you, man, the offseason can be so much fun. It is like its own sport. You know, it, it, it sucks to not have football in the offseason. Oh, I do. I don't have the games, but the games are just a ball of stress. I don't even enjoy the football games anymore. I just sit there and worry and panic and gripe and moan and complain. There's nothing bad that happens in the offseason. Almost never. Because all you do is sit around and talk about how great you are and everything that's going to happen is going to be great and it's all sunshine and rainbows and everything's perfect and you can just theorize and get excited. And do The offseason is glorious. Um, and I saw the news that the Arizona Cardinals have fired head coach Cliff Kingsbury and it just sort of felt like we kicked off the offseason. Like, it's we're ready to go. And I started, the gears started turning. First of all, they fired him 10 months after he signed his contract extension. How many times when I was talking about Matt LaFleur and I don't know, man, maybe he, if, if things don't turn around with this season, and, and I think to some degree they did, but if they had continued down the path they were on in that five game losing streak and he lost the locker room, you got to have some conversations. If he's not fired this year, certainly next year. He's on the hot seat, and I think to some degree that's still true. If he has a really down year, some conversations need to be had. But the biggest rebuttal I always got, well, there was there were two. Both of them I thought were nonsense. But one was, what about the 13 wins? This is the same thing people do with Rodgers all the time. What about the past? What about the past? It has nothing to do with the past. What I care about is the future. What I want to know is 2023, or in this case, 2024, who's the best coach? And if all the best available information tells me that 2024 is going to be bad, I could not give any less of a crap about what happened in 2019, 2020, or 2021. The only reason that's relevant to me is if I think that that somehow supersedes what will happen in the future. But the problem is, what I'm talking about is an issue right now that I don't see being... Res- and this is me talking n- not about what I actually think. I'm just, I'm just, we're speaking in terms of for argument's sake. If I see an issue that is a deficiency with Matt LaFleur that I don't see being fixed, that was able to be overcome in 2019, 2021 for different reasons that we don't necessarily have right now, I'm sorry. I'm glad that you had good seasons before, but that carries no weight. This isn't isn't about respect. And and, and again, this is the same thing that people talk about with Rodgers, as though he's due more respect than to just be cast aside. That's not how this works. In every situation, I'm going to make the best available decision based on what I think is best for our future. Always. Yeah, Rodgers is awesome. And Randall Cobb was great back, you know, 10 years ago, too. It has nothing to do with the decision to move on from him next year, which I think is the right decision. Jordy Nelson was great for us, too. We shouldn't bring him back out of respect. 
It's 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 a completely insane and irrelevant thought process. So again, if if you can lay out an argument, and, and please understand, this is all just theoretical. I'm not saying we should fire Matt Lafleur, but the only thing that matters to me is trying to figure out what is the best decision moving forward. And if if this year is a blip, and this works for Lafleur and Rogers, if if you see this as just a blip. In other words, everything from 1920 and 21 is the real thing, and this was a blip. And you can point to this is what the blip is. Rodgers broke his thumb, and for Lafleur, I don't know, it wasn't his fault, it was somebody else's. Whatever, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Okay, fine, then that's your theory, and that's no big deal. We just disagree on exactly what the situation is. But do not tell me that, yes, this is a problem, and no, I don't necessarily see it getting fixed. However, he deserves more respect because he, he he's a thirteen three-time 13-win coach, and therefore, he shouldn't be fired. He's earned He hasn't earned jack squat. That's not how this works. If you're the wrong guy for this upcoming year, then you're the wrong guy for this upcoming year. Now, don't jump to conclusions or whatever, but anyways, that that's that's the one argument. Well, what about the past? I don't care. The only thing that matters is the future. And if you want to use that to tell me why the future is going to be bright, that's fine. But if you're just going to say it to say it and leave it at that, that's stupid. It has nothing to do with anything. The second is, dummy, he just got a contract extension. They can't move on. Uh, yes, they can. It happens all the time, and it just happened here. They just, 10 months ago, gave him a contract extension through 2027, and he's gone in less than a year. It's an irrelevant detail. It means nothing. Matt LaFleur did not sign a contract extension that gave him any form of security whatsoever. Now, there may be, I'm sure there's all kinds of financial things in there. First of all, he probably made a bunch more money when he signed his contract. And if he gets fired, I'm sure there's some kind of guarantees or whatever that are in there. That'll probably hurt the Packers a little bit. But the point is, that's, again, an irrelevant detail. If he's the wrong guy, he's the wrong guy. If he's the right guy, he's the right guy. So just so we cleared that up. Now, all that to say, I still like Matt LaFleur. I have several issues with the guy, but not enough to fire him. Just kind of things that we're going to set off to the side and say that let's just hope that these don't really impact things too much going forward, right? Whatever we can say about Matt LaFleur, Matt LaFleur didn't have drops like Lazard and and uh, Dobbs and Dylan. He didn't have a fumble like Aaron Jones. He didn't miss the throws. He didn't miss the tackles. He didn't have the penalties. He didn't shove a person on the medical staff. Now, you could still blame Matt LaFleur for not getting his guys right. I, I, again, it's not what I wanted to talk about. The point is, this is where my mind goes. And I start ripping through all this stuff because I'm excited for the offseason. Now, can we still have a post-mortem and, and piss and moan about what happened? Yes. Are we going to go through the PFF grades and everything else? Yes. Are we going to go back and watch the game again? Unfortunately, yes. Am I going to sit there and point blame and say, here's how many times you sucked and you sucked and you sucked? Probably. We'll see how it goes. But I, I just, I, I don't want to do that for too long. Plus, I think we're going to get a heavy dose of that over at uh, Packernet After Dark. I'm excited for the draft. I'm excited for free agency. I'm excited for all these different things, even just in the NFL in general. You know, the, the thought about, um, I was thinking about the Bears' first-round pick and how impactful it is, and I really think it is. The reason being, I think if they had the number two overall pick, they probably stayed and picked the pass rusher. With the number one overall pick, I think they're going to trade it. I think they're going to get a bunch of picks, and I think they're also going to get a good player. 
The reason being, if the Texans went number one, they would take the number one quarterback, and I don't think there would be a ton of trade conversations. Maybe there would at number two, but I think most of the time there's one guy that everybody wants, and at number two, you've got a quarterback-hungry team, so somebody's going to want to jump ahead of them and get that guy. And then at two, I think the the calls probably go down. Now, that could be entirely false if there's multiple teams that think there is a, a quarterback worthy of that number one spot. I don't know that that's going to be the case. I'm looking through rumors right now. Obviously, Bryce has, has got a uh, big reputation out there, but also some teams apparently think that Will Levis is the best quarterback in this class. So maybe somebody really wants him and want. I don't know. But I think it makes a difference. I think I think at two, they probably stayed. At one, they may stay. And 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 here's the other thing. Again, I'm just I'm 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 just all spun up now because all this is new and it's gonna get me all excited. I just did a mini mock draft. I didn't finish it, but I'm just getting started because I'm trying to do a million different things at once because this is fun. The Bears missed out on uh Will Anderson, who's the the seen to be the top pass rusher in the draft class, um, by trading back. And maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe, maybe with the number one pick. The smart thing is to just take the best guy. And so I still think there's a good chance that they end up doing that, but I do think that their phone is going to be blowing up with some pretty enticing offers to get up in front of the Houston Texans and get that number one quarterback. It's just a matter of are they going to be willing to do that? Because what happens if the if the Texans end up sniping their guy? They'll probably take a quarterback at two, but maybe there's only one guy they like, and if you're going to give that spot away, fine, I'm going to take your guy. We're taking Will Anderson. And yeah, Jalen Carter's sitting there, but... Uh, as much as I love defensive tackles, and I think they're worthy of really early picks, they generally just don't go in the top one, two, three. So I don't know if the Bears would do that there. They they do. What was the guy with the, I think Quinnen. Didn't Quinnen go two? I don't know. But either way, I, I want to try to dedicate at least part of the show every day, if possible, on non-whining topics. And so I want to start with that. I, I should start with the press conferences. I should start with that kind of stuff. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. We'll get there, right? Yeah, Roger sounds like he's going to leave. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, th- I think he was up in his feelings, and he's just talking from the heart, and that's just how it comes out. And he'll go, calm down, and we'll see what he comes back with. There. There's my thoughts. All right, so where do we begin dipping our toe in the water of the uh, the off season? Let's start with this, because a lot of people that are not Packer fans and are not necessarily friendly to the Packers love to point out that the Packers little dynasty thing is about to come to an end. And the thing that I always thought was stupid about that, although the quarterback is clearly the most important piece is that the team actually has quite a few solid cornerstone pieces. Nobody has a perfect roster. The Packers will always have holes to fill just like every team always has holes to fill, but there's some really good players. So let's start with that at quarterback. Obviously a lot is in the air. It's a big, giant, massive question mark. But what it isn't necessarily is a giant hole that needs to be filled. It may get to that point eventually. But do we have a young, talented quarterback ready to take the reins? Yes, we do. It's just a matter of we got to see what he can do. At receiver, although we don't fully know exactly what we have, I am unbelievably excited about Christian Watson. I'm relatively optimistic about Romeo Dobbs. And although there's clearly room to continue to grow out that room, the exciting thing to me is we don't necessarily, although I'm open to it, we don't necessarily have to just look at the first round of the draft for wide receiver. It's one of the things that always cracks me up whenever I did like mock drafts and will do mock drafts is you do a a one round 
mock draft, first round, and people lose their mind about, I can't believe you did this. Not realizing that there are seven rounds and free agency. You don't have to always do a draft as though this is your only pick. And I know that's the temptation when you're doing a first round mock draft because you only do get one pick. And it has to be the perfect pick. The one pick that could fix everything if there was only one pick. But I think in reality, when you look at the Packers wide receivers, and again, I am not opposed to going out and getting just a top tier elite wide receiver if that's what they think. If, if, if there's a, I hate to even use Justin Jefferson because he's eclipsed everything, but you know, a, a Jefferson, a Jamar Chase or whatever, like you genuinely think this is the guy. Why not? Why not? You know, I, I mean, I've had reservations and issues about Romeo Dobbs and everything, and that's why it's not really my favorite thing in the world to do. But again, best player available. If you really think that's the guy, okay, fine. But in reality, I think we have some really good pieces. I think we lack, lack depth, right? Samori Ture is there. I don't necessarily think he's going to end up being a great wide receiver, but maybe he'll be a competent whatever. But you can continue to build up and round out the wide receiver room. We should also be aware that there is a second round, a third round, a fourth round, a fifth round, a sixth round, and yes, a seventh round, as well as undrafted free agency and free agency. So there's a lot of ways to kind of build out that room um, and and build sort of a more well-rounded supporting cast around Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs, whether that's upgrading or just backfilling. But I like what we have. Tight end. Needs some work. Um, I don't hate the tight ends, but I think with Mercedes Lewis likely heading out the door, um, Robert Tunyon has kind of bottomed out as far as my overall opinion of of his abilities and, and his, it's going to sound harsh, but usefulness to the team. Um, you know, he he's sort of that receiving threat tight end that isn't a receiving threat. So I like DeGuara. As a more blocking type of a guy, I think he's proved that he can do that as well as kind of, kind of in a way, being the Mercedes Lewis, although he's not quite that. Mercedes being more of an inline, true, just extra offensive lineman. Um, that is like if he slips out for a for a pass, it might as well be a trick play. Deguara is a little bit somewhere in between that and Tunyon, where he's expected to be more of a receiver than Mercedes, but he's also expected to be more of a blocker than Tunyon. Um. And so I, I think he can be a, a capable enough. It's not an emergency to go out and replace your H-back. You know what I mean? And I, and I don't know that there are a ton of H-backs out there to begin with, especially ones that are going to be much better than Tunyon, but to find that true elite receiving threat. Now, if you find a guy like Michael Mayer, and I'm not saying that's my pick or anything like that, and obviously there's a pretty bad track record, but the good thing about guys like Mayer is he's one of the the supposedly, and we hear this every year and it doesn't pan out, but one of the rare types of guys that can be your uh, Tunyon and your Mercedes Lewis. He can be an inline blocker. He's also a really good receiving threat. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about upgraded version of Tunyon, but just in terms of alignment. Um, so you kind of kill two birds with one stone on that. But I do think that we need that receiving threat, if nothing else. I know blocking is unbelievably important, especially for the Green Bay Packers. But in 2023 in the NFL... If you want to absolutely hurt somebody, as much as I would love to get another Mercedes Lewis, the fact of the matter is the best Mercedes Lewis in this draft class is probably going to go in like the fifth round, so we don't need to worry about that. But a true elite receiving tight end, 
you know, and again, I'm throwing names out there that probably don't even exist in the draft class, but a true Travis Kelsey, uh, a true George Kittle, a true, uh, heck is that Baltimore guy? It doesn't matter. You get the idea. Those guys will absolutely destroy a defense. But again, my my biggest complication or, or reservation, whatever about it is, it just seems like such a crapshoot. Tight ends don't usually go early. And I can't help but think it's not because they're not important, because they are. It's just because they don't know how to draft them. And I've said this a thousand times, but everybody says the quarterback is the hardest position in football to draft. I think that is the dumbest thing ever. Almost every single quarterback that's playing at a high level went in the first round. Why don't quarterbacks slip into the fifth round or sixth round? I mean, they do, but why don't those guys pan out sometime? Because we've they've got it down to a pretty pretty much a science in terms of drafting quarterbacks. Tight ends? I can't think of a position that is less understood than how to draft a tight end. Explain to me why all the elite tight ends seem to go in the fourth and fifth round. And all the first round picks are just wasted picks. It's actually funny as I was doing my mock draft, chuckling to myself, thinking about the prospect of the Detroit Lions uh, with their actual pick taking tight end Michael Mayer because they are the poster children the Detroit Lions are for why you shouldn't draft tight ends. They, They drafted Eric Ebron. And that was when they really had their offense going. There might even been Calvin Johnson still on the team. I don't remember, but their offense was just dominant. And their defense was terrible. And when they went out and got Ebron, I remember thinking, man, they're, that's a scary team because you know they're, they're just going all in with offense. And they couldn't care less about defense, but they've got a perfect... And it just, Ebron was never any good. And then what do they do? Five, six, however many years later, TJ Hawkinson, best tight end in the draft. I think he was a top 10 guy, like can't miss pro- him and Noah Fant, man greatest this that he's off the team already and you know and there's nothing wrong with uh with Hawkinson he's not a bad tight end but clearly was not worth it to the point where they're they're not even willing to pay him like no I'm not paying that guy get him out we'll find another guy like that but in terms of the importance I I would put it pretty high it's just a question of what's the best way of of going about doing that because drafting to fix a problem and fixing a problem are very different things. And that's another thing that tends to get confused in these conversations. We have to draft this or that or the other in the first round. No, we, we need to try really hard to fix it. The question is, what is the best way to fix it? If historically speaking, you're, you're going to tell me that we have like an 8% chance of if we draft Michael Mayer, him becoming a premier tight end, or... We have like a 60% chance of drafting this wide receiver and he becomes a great wide receiver because that's just becoming a thing now. These wide receivers coming out of college are just home runs. Tight end might be more important than wide receiver, but give me a 60% chance of being a great player compared to an 8% chance. I'm making the numbers up, but I'm just saying. Different, it's different. Drafting and fixing are different things. Drafting is when you just acquire a player. Fixing a problem is when a problem goes away. And to be honest, most of the time drafting somebody doesn't fix it. It's attempting to fix it and failing. Running back is an interesting um, situation for for several reasons. Number one, Aaron Jones. Is he staying or is he going? I look at his contract and I'm, I'm, I'm grimacing. The fact that he's going to jump from $5.9 million to $20 million against the cap is completely unpalatable. Now... That is to let me let, let let me rephrase that. I don't think there's any way the Packers are going to pay twenty million dollars of their salary cap to Aaron Jones, and this is part of the issue I have with you know people that look and say, "Oh man, the Packers have no money." 
next year. Well, how do you know? Well, you can look at the set that the, the, well, things are going to change. Some of these players are not going to be on the team. Some of the players will stay on the team, but they're going to restructure the contracts or they're going to redo it. And, and I'm not saying that's the greatest thing in the world to do, but they're going to do it because they're not going to take this cap in. So the question becomes at 28 going on 29, he's not over the hill. I, I shouldn't say that. He's not too old. He's not 32. He's not at that point where it's like, okay, he's he's going to be done. But he is on the back side of his career where you do expect some of that regression to start picking up. Some of that agility, some of that speed, some of that burst is going to start to deteriorate. Like I said, with, with running backs, it seems to happen extremely early. I don't know how good the data is anymore. I've been using this anecdote since forever, but I did see quite a while ago that they said around 26 years old, you start to see a decline in running backs, which is insane because that's right around the time they get their first contract. So they tear it up as rookies. They get big contracts and immediately start to fall off. That's not all of them. They've done a great job with Aaron Jones, somewhat unfortunately for us, never using him, but fortunately in the, in, in the fact that he's probably got a lot more tread on his tires than a lot of other running backs that are just getting smashed into defensive linemen 25, 30 times a game. You, you've also just, there's, there's a lot of questions. You've got A.J. Dillon, which factors into this. He is a second-round pick. Is he as good as Aaron Jones? He's absolutely not. But you invested a second-round pick in a running back, and to say we can't let go of Aaron Jones seems crazy to me, especially considering if he stays, it will be just to be a tandem, which means Aaron Jones will be on the cap, and again, they may adjust it somehow, some way, but we're talking a $20 million running back to be 50% of a running back, right? He's not your feature back. He's a half of your featured backfield, which is split about down the middle 50-50. And just to put that, put that into perspective, and I'm not, and we can't recoup all of that. We can recoup about half of it. We can recoup about ten, but twenty million dollars is going out in free agency and getting a premier right tackle to come play right now. That's a big deal. Twenty million is is. I mean, twenty. You probably get a premier tackle for less than that. Top tackle money right now is what twenty two, twenty three. I'm talking about going out and getting a one year filler. Twenty should go out and get absolutely the top guy in the draft. So, so just to give some perspective on what we're talking about with Aaron Jones here, so that he can come out and play, you know, fifty percent of the snaps and maybe have three or four big games a year, but unfortunately is now having fumble issues. I mean, there's no person on planet Earth that I appreciate more that is a Green Bay Packer than Aaron Jones, just from from the standpoint of being a really good person. But it becomes hard to kind of justify this um, now. And I don't exactly know how this works, but I know he's got some void years. I don't know if there's a way to just take this money and push it into those years. I'm guessing Jones wouldn't necessarily want to agree to that. Unless, of course, you take some of those years and add guarantees to it. In other words, we're giving you more years and a higher likelihood that you're going to be staying here and actually collecting this money longer term. And in return, we're going to lower our salary cap hit. Because generally, if you're just going to add years, I expect more money too. So I don't know. I I haven't seen that happen. I don't know exactly how that would work. Can you just pick up voided years and say, we're going to actually use these two years now, and then just take some of that money and slap it onto the back end, add a couple guarantees and say you're, you know, because I'm not talking about taking away his money. The $20 million cap hit has nothing to do with how much money he's making. His base salary of $8.1 million, we're not going to touch it. Actually, that's not true because he has an $8.1 million base salary 
and a $7 million roster bonus, which actually goes into effect March 19th. So if um, if we don't make some kind of a serious adjustment, and I don't know what kind of leeway we have with roster bonuses, I don't think anything, um, he'll be gone before March March 19th. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Again, that's not all the money. That's 15 of the 20 million we're, we're accounting for there, and the rest is not. Um, I don't know. We, we may have to push some of his actual physical money this year, which, which again, I don't think he would do, which is why you just have to add money on top of it. But you'd have to give him kind of a low contract, but would he even accept a lower contract? I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to see a path to say this is your best option to keep Aaron Jones. I really like him. He is an unbelievable player. I just don't see how the team is better with him than without him. When you factor in the age, when you factor in especially this the salary cap number, even if you try to get that number down, first of all, all we're doing is kicking the can down the road and probably adding problems onto it. So we're just going to have this problem next year. All we're doing is procrastinating the problem. We're not fixing the problem. Um, but anyways, the, the question becomes hypothetically, if we move on from Aaron Jones, what do you do at running back, right? Because obviously you got the whole Bijan thing, right? Love Bijan, but again, there's more than just the first round. And stacking an elite running back alongside your really good running back, or however you feel about A.J. Dillon, solid running back, is it's cool, but is that the most prudent move, or would it make more sense to, again, utilize third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. I know every time I say third, people are like, no, don't, not unless you want it to fail. (laughs) But but I think that's kind of where I'm leaning. Uh, I don't think you can get too deep into the draft before you start to get those running backs that are at least seen as gimmicky. Um, Maybe that's the wrong word to use, but, you know, the the Packers like to use well-rounded running backs. Power, the speed, the receiving ability, the blocking ability. And I think by about probably the fourth round, fifth round is when you start to see guys that are good runners but bad receivers, or you know they they can they can they're third down backs or whatever the case may be. That that tends to be you know you get the small, fast, shifty guys that are really really intriguing, but probably won't be out there every down. So early, mid, third, fourth round kind of thing to supplement AJ Dillon. As much as I know that's going to make people sad, I, I think it makes sense. And I think it's more than feasible. Again, if we draft Bijan Robinson, is it stupid? Probably. Am I going to do backflips anyways? Probably. And can I just say, because I, I I can't talk about Bijan Robinson without watching. Um, I'm watching him against Alabama, and if you go watch his highlights, the the best thing about Bijan is he's the only guy since Christian McCaffrey I've seen be able to cut like he does. Some of those cuts are just stupid. I I didn't realize until watching this game against Alabama how violent he is. He might be the most violent running back I've ever seen. And um, I just, I mean, like, it's every single time he makes contact, it is the sound just is chilling to your bones. When he blocks, he throws his whole body into a guy like he's trying to kill him. And then when he's running, you'll see him just smash. I mean, this is Alabama. This is one of the top defenses in football. They are really strong. They don't mess around. Some of these guys can really hit. And he is laying out defenders. I'm talking just laying them out entirely. I'm just—I don't know. You want—you want to set the tone and be a physical team? AJ Dillon and Bijan, dude. God, just 
just absolutely vicious. Vicious. I love watching this guy. I, I know we're not going to draft him, and we shouldn't, but I can't. I, I just appreciate this human being. God, I just watched it again. There's two plays back-to-back. And it just, you see the guy's head just fly. And he's not even moving that fast. He's just built with so much power. The way that the Alabama defender's head shoots backwards. I am, I am terrified for his life watching this. That is, I mean, it's scary. And that's one play after he, he literally, some guy, he hit him so hard, he flew back. It looked like, you know, when these WWF guys or WWE, whatever, they practice how to wrestle and they flop back on their backs. That's what it looked like. It was violently just went right back on his back. Just crushed him. Oh, I am becoming obsessed. Anyways, I'm going to try to talk about the draft without talking about Bijan one of these days. But that that's that's kind of where I'm at is I, I think moving forward, you lean on A.J. Dillon and find him a, a partner. Work that duo and trust that the data and analytics community are correct that You don't need premier running backs. That running is primarily a function of offensive line play. Uh, A good run game has more to do with your offensive line than your running backs. And you work on building up your offensive line and continue to get guys like Luke Buckus involved in in really getting these guys up and prepared and then go out and get capable running backs and just get a running game going. Uh, Speaking of offensive line, the offensive line is really tough because across the board, not entirely across the board, but in a lot of ways, Almost everybody is replaceable. I mean, Bakhtiari, I don't know if he's staying or going. So we may need to replace him. Elton Jenkins, I like, and he stays. Josh Myers is unbelievably replaceable, but I don't think we're going to because we just drafted him in the second round. I mean, now we're going on, what, year three or whatever, but I don't think we're going to replace him. John Runyon is good, but he's just, I don't, he's, he's, again, replaceable. I love him as a pass blocker. He is terrible as a run blocker. He's very replaceable, but I don't think we're going to replace him. So you look at the offensive line and you say, okay, well, right tackle, we need to upgrade. We need a right tackle. Right guard, we can replace, but probably won't. Center, we should replace, but probably won't. Left guard is Elton Jenkins. And then left tackle is Bakhtiari, soon to be potentially Zach Tom. And hopefully that he, you know, hopefully Zach can end up being a really good tackle. I don't know. We'll see. We've had a pretty small sample size up to this point. But that's the hard part for me is... You know, half the offensive line is big question marks that we're not going to do anything about. So I, it's it's sort of like, well, I guess take a big swing at, at right tackle and just call it a day and, and hope that it's good enough because that's really all I can think to do. Uh, and, and, and continue to do what you always do, which is backfill in the mid rounds and, and later rounds with offensive line and, and hopefully continue to hit. And eventually maybe, I mean, who knows? Maybe Sean Ryan really takes a step next year and takes that right guard spot. You know, I mean, I'm not going to just declare him a bust, although it's certainly trending in a pretty horrible direction. But who knows? But on the flip side, you know, I do think we have a good offensive line. So if the only thing that happens is maybe some of our guys take a step and um, we upgrade right tackle, sweet. Anyways, before I kind of delve into uh, the defense and uh, look at a few other things from the game yesterday, we should probably take a break. So patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would be greatly appreciated. I also did have someone reach out and ask for my Venmo. If for whatever reason that is more your style, Venmo is just Packernet Podcast. Uh, Also, please consider giving to Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. If you're looking for uh, a cause to support, 
That would be greatly appreciated if you would just check them out at FertileGroundRanch.org, see if it's something that you would be interested in, um, in giving to. Take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So on the, on the defensive side, and, and listen, if, if we can back out for one second and just talk macro I really think we should probably start to lean a little heavier on the offense for a couple reasons number one if you look at how the season ended the defense I thought was doing a great job the offense is really lacking um I know we need help we could probably use help at defensive tackle add another edge rusher um safety help maybe corner help you know I don't know what the situation is with with who's staying and who's going or whatever but uh, it, it's again I'm not saying that there aren't holes but we have invested so much top end talent to the defense I think we should start to dedicate some top end talent again drafting isn't fixing but taking your best swings at the offensive side for once and focus on backfilling the defense so I know we only have so many mid-round picks and I've already allocated running back and wide receiver and everything else to it but just from a general standpoint I think I would rather dedicate the early picks to you know if you if you think wide receiver is the best option that or again offensive line whether that's interior or tackle would be phenomenal if you think Michael Mayer's the dude go ahead and do it if you're 100 percent all in on Bijan freaking let's do it man um because again not not everything has to be a first round pick do we need help with another edge rusher or or maybe uh, additional depth. Sure. So we got Rashawn, we got Preston, we got Kingsley, we'll add someone else. Could be a second round pick. Um you know, safety. I, I do I am leery of, you know, mid-round safeties starting, but I don't know the status of Adrian Amos. I think Savage started to come on. I think Rudy Ford is a very real option for us. Um and again, not everything's going to be elite. You know, well, we could do better than Rudy. I understand that. We could do better than Rudy. We could do better than Savage. We could probably do better than Stokes. We could do better than uh, Quay and Campbell. We can do better than pretty much our entire defense outside of Rashawn and, and a few other key pieces like Jair and whatnot. But, you know, it's it's some of it is just about stabilizing. We have Rudy Ford. We have this, that, or the other. And, and I think the defense is starting to come into its own. I think those first-round resources are starting to prove themselves. I think we saw the defense come on strong. And again, if you add Rashawn and a few other pieces, and um, I, I think I think that things could really start to take off. And remember, we got Quay going into year two. You got Wyatt going into year two. 
there's already a lot of pieces that are really young. Stokes is still young, and he missed pretty much this entire season. Um, so there's a lot of room for these guys to continue to grow and grow in this defense, like like we started to see it down the stretch as we kind of got into a rhythm of how this defense best operates. Um, but the offense just wasn't getting it done, so I, I would prefer to dedicate early resources. Take best player available. If there's a dominant defensive tackle, edge rush, or whatever, just do it. But if it comes down to, you know, like I've said before, drafting really comes down to putting guys into tiers. And if you get to your tier and there's three, four, five guys sitting there, I would prioritize offense and take the biggest piece that is going to move this offense forward. And primarily what I'm thinking of is all the times this offense just got stuck and couldn't move. Why? What, what, what was it? The offensive line getting to Rodgers, then prioritize taking a tackle or a guard or a center or whatever. If it was the wide receivers not getting open, then get a wide receiver. You know, Christian Watson can take the top off, but we don't really have that guy that's just an absolute dominant route runner. You know, Dobbs is kind of there. Maybe he can be that guy, but we got a guy, we got a Chris Olave or whatever just sitting here. If that was the issue, then do it. Um, if it was quarterback, then I, you know, I don't really know what to say. <laughs> I don't think there's a, a quarterback to draft. And also, we're, we're kind of leaning on either if Rodgers comes back, Rodgers just improving. Or, or Jordan Love is going to be that guy. So there's not really... But but that's the, the primary... Okay, so what was the secondary issue? Was it the offensive line? And offensive line is always a good, a good option. Because again, that's running and passing. A lot of times the run game just wasn't going offensive line. A lot of times the, the passing game isn't working. Well, at least 30% of the time when there's something wrong with the pass, it's because somebody got to Rodgers. So that's always a good option. Um... It just comes down to who's available. But anyways, defensive tackle. We still have Kenny. We have Wyatt. But I don't really know how much else we have. Um, but again, Kenny's costing us a lot of money, and Devontae Wyatt was a first-round pick. So as much as I'd love to take another swing, I don't know that we need three first-round picks at defensive tackle. I just I don't know if we really need that, especially when we were learning that defensive tackles kind of take a long time to get up to speed. It's like, you know, maybe just go out in free agency and find a Jaron Reed, you know, assuming he's not going to come back. If he is great, then we already have a Jaron Reed, but just a veteran that kind of knows what he's doing. Maybe that's just the best option or a rotational guy. Find find a guy that's a really good nose tackle or a really good, uh, you know, a, a pass rushing third down guy or something that you can. Just trust that if nothing else, at least they can do this one job really well, even if they're not going to be super well-rounded to begin with. So, do, you know, do I think we need help? But yeah, I think it's more of a backfilling situation. I don't want to keep throwing first-round picks at one position. Edge rusher, love to add another guy. I think we have Rashawn, and then we have a big drop-off, and we get Preston, and then we have another drop-off, and you have Kingsley, and then we just don't really have anybody. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to what's his name from the Rams. I don't know or who was with the Rams. I don't expect him to stick around if he does okay, I guess. I don't I don't know. But again, generally, I like where we're at. I like that we have a young premier player at the position. I think we have some key pieces that can supplement that, especially when you factor in the defensive line along with that. But could we add some more? Definitely. If we have the option to add a premier 
pass rusher, which I think is very possible. I've seen that in mock drafts already, and it seems like there are some people kind of in that range that line up right now, and we'll get into that probably tomorrow, looking at some prospects. Um, again, it's not my preference generally to go defense, but again, if, if, if the top player on the board is an elite pass rusher, do you take him? Yeah, I think you do. If there's another Rashawn just sitting there, uh, yeah, a wide receiver or tight end would be great, but you take a Rashawn if he's sitting there, and I don't really care what the other options are. Put it this way, I would take another Rashawn over another Christian Watson. It might be close, but I would. Linebacker, I think we got pretty well locked up. Whether or not we like him, that this is this is the situation we've got. I don't exactly know Devondre's status, but Quay Walker's the guy. And even if Devondre doesn't stick around um, for for too much longer, I, I think you end up with situations where you'll have McDuffie be that other guy, or you draft another linebacker, or continue to take swings. But these will be mid to late round swings, would be my guess. Slash, see what we can do in free agency. I know we don't have a ton of money. I'm not saying in each of these situations we're going to go out and get these high-priced guys. I'm talking maybe one or two of these positions we get some low-priced guys and hope to get another um, home run hit out of a lower-priced guy. Corner, I, I think, is is more or less locked up, especially in the early rounds. I have no issue going out and continuing to find depth because it seems like we have our two premier guys. And then Keyshawn seems to do a pretty good job. And again, Razul, I don't exactly know his contract situation, just in terms of, you know, whether or not he's 100% locked up and how long he's 100% locked up. But you got Razul, you got Keyshawn, but it kind of feels to me like we've got your top guys, which would be Stokes and Jair. Razul is a question mark in terms of his how long he'll be here. I would assume he'd stay at least one more year. He's only a $6 million cap hit, uh, which seems worth it to me. But you know, the, 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 the larger point is we've got our premier guys and nothing behind them. So it wouldn't be the worst thing. Again, mid-round swings or even late rounds just to continue to supplement it. And we've done a good job. I mean, Innis Gaines came into this game. And I don't think he did necessarily a great job. But again, Keyshawn has come in at times. I think he's done a good job. So undrafted free agent, late round swings, just to kind of, again, backfill. Um, safety, again, is the one area where I'm genuinely concerned if we don't invest somewhat of an early round pick, because I think we need starters. Um, Amos and Savage were both graded out pretty poorly in this game, and I think that is fair. I know Savage had some really good plays, but I felt like every time I was cheering for him, then the very next play, I was like, come on, Savage. He was out there a lot. I mean, he was flying around, and it was great. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give him time. I think he made a, a good bounce back. It wasn't a terrible grade, and he graded out better than Amos, which is kind of leading to my next point. He also graded out better than Rudy Ford. It just seems like, especially if we're going to be a team that's reliant on DBs, we got to get safeties. At least one really good safety that we can count on. And so that's another area where, as much as I would love to invest on offense, if there's a really good safety, and there is, sitting right in that spot, at least in terms of the um, consensus right now, there is a safety option. And speaking of Alabama, it's Brian Branch out of Alabama, right? It's talking about Bijan knocking into some Bama boys. I'm pretty sure Brian Branch was one of them. He's consensus pick 21 right now, so that's right in that range. We're talking, you know, the Packers have the ability to get the top safety in the draft. There's also Antonio Johnson out of Texas A&M, who's seen as a late first-round pick. You know how the Packers like to kind of get those hyper-athletic guys that seem like reaches? But I think Branch actually makes a lot of sense for that because you've got a guy that is potentially a reach from where the Packers are at. But 
It's a defensive player. It's a position of need. And also, real important, he made Feldman's freak list. So, Gutekunst is, uh, he's got each issue of those framed on his wall, I think. Brand at six foot 194 is a strong DB squatting 565 pounds and power cleaning 335. He's also got a lot of speed, having clocked 22.3 miles per hour on the GPS system. Uh, they have his projected 40 time as running a 444, which is really fast for a safety. In fact, um, at least on this site that I'm using, they don't have anybody with a faster 40 time. These are all, I think, projected 40 times. But a lot of times, you know, they're they're projected not as fast as they're going to be, but it's still relative to everybody else. So everybody else is 444 or 445 or 446. There aren't any like 439s that I found on here, even though some people will probably run it. The point is, he's seen as one of the fastest safeties in football on top of everything else. So the larger point is, I like the Packers' bones. They, they've got good, but you know, you go to a house and it's kind of ugly or whatever. And it needs to be kind of remodeled, but but it's got good bones. That's what the Packers have. They got to backfill some areas. We we can we can we can upgrade pretty much anywhere we want. The offensive line could use some tweaking, no question. The wide receivers can be improved. The tight ends can be improved. The potentially running backs uh, could be improved. Defensive line, edge, um, safety for sure. You know, if if we do decide to get another linebacker at some point, I mean, you you could maybe get a better duo there. I don't know. But the bones that we can build on are are there. And, and, and the nice thing about it is, again, you don't necessarily need elite first-round prospects. I'll take it, you know, at, at, at any of these positions. At, at an elite safety, of course. An elite pass rusher, defensive tackle, offensive tackle, wide receiver. It would be huge, tight end. But in a lot of these areas, if you can just get good core pieces, if you can get another solid edge rusher or solid defensive tackle or solid, just give me a good, regular run-of-the-mill, not-a-disaster player at safety at any of these positions. A guy that doesn't need to be pulled at right tackle. You know, safeties that, at this point, honestly, I don't need Charles Woodson. I just need not a liability. Because, unfortunately, including Adrian Amos, who's been one of my favorite players on this team, including Amos, it's been nonstop liabilities at the safety position. And again, this past week, Looking at the PFF grades, all three are in the, I think, 40s. Ford, Amos, and Savage. So it's a good football team. We've got to get the quarterback situation figured out, and then from there we can move forward. Um, you know, they're, they're weird because they're kind of on the cusp. They're not good enough to be anything other than sort of a second-tier team right now, but they've got that really good core structure that if you add some pieces in the right area and if you can learn to use it, like we didn't figure out how to use the offense until week 10. We didn't figure out how to use the defense until, what, week 14? And then the whole collapsing thing is a whole other issue. I don't know exactly how to deal with that. But from a personnel standpoint, I do think we have mostly the right pieces of what we need. I would focus primarily on offense. I think this defense, when it's at its best, is already today, with no additional help, a solid defense. No question, no reason for it to not be a top 10 defense, again, like it was down the stretch. Don't know why it wasn't the whole season, but they have the pieces today to be that team. We got to catch the offense up a little bit, but I don't think it'll take a ton. I think uh, largely getting guys that we have now to take a step forward, like Rodgers had said, I think we were a couple pieces, a couple players short of being uh, a true contender. And I think some of those pieces are already on the team. I think he phrased that perfectly. 
because it's not everything is about going out and replacing guys. It's about Dobbs taking a step, Watson taking a step, Wyatt taking a step, Quay taking a step. I mean, th- these guys are rookies, man. You know, we look at Quay and it's like, oh, what a disappointment. And I know the, the pushing, shoving thing is a separate issue, but I mean, he was just starting to come on strong. This guy can be really special. Devontae Wyatt, again, I don't know if I mentioned it, but highest graded player on the entire team this past week. Highest graded player, 91 grade. Christian Watson had the second highest grade. The only two guys with basically elite grades. I think Wyatt had a 91 and Watson had an 88. And I think there were three guys that played significant snaps that had 70s. Everybody else was 60 and below. Bad week. But look at Wyatt coming on strong. How important would that be to have a guy like Wyatt be your best defensive tackle and have Kenny kind of be that stud supporting cast? As, as silly as that sounds, because Kenny has been our premier guy pretty much since he got here, or at least in, in his second, maybe third year, because I know Mike Daniels was kind of that dude. But that's the point. Mike Daniels is always our guy. And we looked at, at, at uh, um, Kenny as being a, a really good supporting piece. And to be honest, Kenny was at his best when he had Mike Daniels there. It almost reminds me of Ha Ha Clinton Dix. I liked Ha Ha Clinton Dix. But when we lost Morgan Burnett, we lost Ha Ha Clinton Dix. He's not your premier guy. He was a good role player that could make plays as long as he's got a guy next to him that can kind of get him set up and put him in the right spot and all that. And I said when we lose Morgan Burnett, that's going to be a problem. And I think that was the same with Kenny. When we lost um, Mike Daniels, he just really struggled because he's getting all the attention now. You know, when Mike Daniels is getting all the attention, you can just go be a freak and just tear people up. So maybe we can have that sort of same situation. All the attention is being shown to Kenny, so Wyatt can kind of run wild. And I'm super excited to go back and watch that and see what what the heck they were talking about because it was primarily his pass rush grade. He only had one pressure. But PFF's like, no, dude, trust me. He was good. By the way, PFF calls Brian Branch. Brian Branch, it seems to me, I know we're kind of getting off. I'm just staring at his PFF page right now as I'm talking and I'm noticing. Um, he looks like he played very much the... Uh, Darnell Savage role, which is to say he was a safety that played a ton of slot, which kind of makes sense because I was watching a little bit of Brian Branch just because I was all excited, like, oh man, let's see. And I went back and watched him against Texas so I can see him against Bijan. He does not look like a safety to me. He looks like a corner. And the reason I say that is because when it comes time to hit people, he kind of has that, eh, not my job mentality, which is what corners do. That's not what safeties do. It shouldn't be anyways. I don't, I don't want to make... Uh, any prejudgments, but I was kind of shocked. The highest graded quote unquote safety. I'm watching this guy and he's just out there jogging and doesn't seem super interested. So I only watched like a quarter of the Texas game, but not a, not a big fan. Anyways, let's end with the PFF grades. I'm not going to go in depth. We don't have time. We're already 50 minutes into this, but I'll just give the overview. We can dive in deeper tomorrow. Again, we'll dive in deeper on prospects. We'll dive in deeper on PFF and some other things as well, kind of going back into the season and seeing if we can kind of dissect some things that we missed while we were in the heat of it. Um, But again, offensively, unbelievable. I I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this where where the second highest grade was a 68, and it was Tyler Davis who played eight snaps. The second highest grade from a guy that actually played some significant snaps was A.J. Dillon with a 65 grade. He had a 30 receiving grade and a 5 pass blocking grade. Five. He didn't have a lot of opportunities, but still, I mean, just he he just whiffed basically. But yeah, that that drag. He still had an 82 rushing grade, but again, not getting in depth on it. The the, the point is that's terrible. 
Christian Watson, though, 88.2 grade, 90 receiving grade, 90 elite. The worst news, though, our boy Romeo Dobbs was the lowest graded player with a 34. Now, he had two drops in the game, which obviously is going to kill you. But Romeo just has not really been that dude since early on. Um, he's He's got some... I guess I shouldn't say that. He had a stretch here from week 8, 72, week 9, 88, week 15, 89, although week 9 he only played one snap. So 72, and then week 15, 89. He also had a pretty good game against uh, Minnesota with a 72 grade, I guess, last week. Not terrible. Um, but not super consistent. And, and, and again, he's young. He's a rookie. And seeing the flashes is good enough for me for now. To be fair, but also somewhat unfair, I think Watson has a slightly easier job because a lot of what makes him great is his raw athleticism. Romeo Dobbs has a has a gift that needs to be refined, and 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 Watson does too. And and he's he's grown beyond that. I'm I, again, I don't mean to be disrespectful to Watson. He's done things that that catch down the sideline that was like the final piece of the puzzle for him. He has done everything. His route running has gone significantly better than anybody expected he's his speed by the way is is much more than i ever anticipated but the the route running has improved his 50 50 jump ball stuff is incredible his ability in the end zone kind of jumping over people mossing people and that that catch down the sideline with one hand while you're being held and drawing a flag but still that was the piece de resistance that was it man but still at 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 its core he's going to be good no matter what, just from that one standpoint. He went beyond that, but it's easier to be the guy that's like, okay, I don't really know how to do this, but I know how to run down the field in a straight line real fast. Romeo has got some real great movement abilities. It's about refining them. Super shifty, all that stuff. It's just how do I get that out and, and apply it into the NFL? And I think he's going to get there. To what To what end, I don't know. To what degree, I don't know. But again, you look at some of the stats, you look at some of the games he had, the fact that, again, he had a 90, basically an 89 grade against L.A., along with his eight targets, eight receptions, 73 yards, and a touchdown week three. Followed that up again with eight more targets, five receptions, 47 yards, and another touchdown. You know, he had nine targets against the Jets, didn't catch a ton or get a lot of yards, but still heavily targeted. Uh, Buffalo, five targets, four receptions, 62 yards, and a tud. Um you know, I, again, it's 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 refining him. It's also figuring out how to get this offense going. I think we we gave Lazard way too big of a piece of this offense, um, and that kind of messed stuff up. You know, how do we utilize? How do we do all this? How do we construct an offense that has a guy like? I mean, there, there's so many fun pieces you can use, but how do you construct an offense to utilize all of it? Because they're such unique pieces. And again, I, I do think Lazard was given too big of a piece of the pie. Just my personal opinion. But yeah, down the line, the guys with 60s, and there weren't even that many of them. Uh, Tyler Davis, who played eight snaps, 68. A.J. Dillon, 65. Robert Tunyon, 63. Lazard, 62. Jones, 60. Um, Zach Tom, now we're in the 50s, 59. Lewis, 59. DeGuara, 58. Samori Ture, 57. Runyon with a 56. He had a horrific pass blocking grade, which, again, when has this ever happened? You get that offensive line freaking collapse. David Bakhtiari with a 56. When does that ever happen? He had a 41 run blocking grade. Probably the worst. I don't know when he's had a run blocking grade like that. Aaron Rodgers had a 56 grade. Randall Cobb, 55. Josh Myers with a 54. He had a 49 run blocking grade. Elton Jenkins 
with a 52. 57 pass blocking, 50 run blocking. Yash Nyman, 35 overall grade before getting yanked. I mean, Zach Tom was by far our best offensive lineman, and he was a below-average player. And then again, Romeo Dobbs with a 34. I mean, just the offensive line collapse just makes me sick. I'm so tired of it. I don't understand it. Defense, um, we'll start bad and work our way up. Innis Gaines was the lowest graded, but he obviously was not starting a ton. Quay Walker was the next lowest, which I'm actually curious about going back and looking the last time he got ejected and some of the other times he got frustrated if it was because he was having a bad day. I actually thought he was having a great day to start with, but um, uh, they they did not like it, especially in coverage was his biggest thing. I thought he was doing a good job tackling people. He was flying around, but 47 coverage grade. Justin Hollins, 49. Preston with a 51. Razul with a 51. Amos with a 52. Rudy Ford with a 53. Savage with a 56. Then you get into the average. Reed, 61. Slayton, 64. Kingsley, 65. Then you get into the good, McDuffie, five snaps, 70. Jair, 72. Again, he started coming on strong, but just not good enough when it, you know. And that's where it gets really frustrating is the guys that did show up watching your team just quit. You know, like you're dragging this defense to success. Jair's shutting guys down and everybody else is kind of falling apart and then your offense does nothing. That's got to be just so unbelievably annoying. Devondre Campbell, 73. Kenny Clark, 76. Chris Barnes, seven snaps, but he had a 78. And then again, Devontae Wyatt, 32 snaps, 16 against the run, 16 as a pass rusher, 91.1 overall grade, 67 run defense, 67 tackling, 92.2 pass rush. So yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to go back and see what the heck he had a 92 grade as a pass rusher, uh, what exactly that guy did. Because week 18... Among defensive tackles, and there were, uh, I think every grade is graded now, 143 defensive tackles. Devontae Wyatt had the highest pass rush grade. Um, And in true pass sets, he has the highest grade with a 95.6. You want to talk about a silver lining? Got a piece. And, you know, you talk about a defense that's going to focus on the secondary, go out and get a safety to pair with uh, Savage, who hopefully is going to continue to improve as he kind of learns his role a little bit better. You got Jai, you got Stokes, you got Razul, you got the safeties, you got Quay, who's taking a step, you got Devondre Campbell at linebacker. Then you got this duo of Wyatt and Kenny, and hopefully Kenny really takes a step now that he has help from Devontae Wyatt. You get Rashawn back, so you got just these four guys up front, but it's a terrifying four. And again, you invest in your offense. I don't know who our quarterback's going to be, but let's say it is Rodgers for now because I still think that's the most likely scenario, even if it is 52% in my mind. 55, 60, I don't know. But okay, Rodgers is coming back. Better chemistry with the rookies. Not a broken thumb. Better rhythm with the offense because, you know, it's it's a Matt LaFleur thing too. Him trying to figure out the best way to utilize this offense and getting kind of janky at times as we experiment. So... Matt LaFleur is experimenting and trying, and Aaron Rodgers is experimenting and trying because he doesn't know who to throw to and who he can trust and who he can't. And, you know, this is as guys are improving. You know, Romeo Dobbs is your dude, and then suddenly he's not playing as well, and it's like, what the heck, you were my guy, and then you go to Christian, and then they, you know, it's more of a zone thing, so you can't go to Christian. Then you try to go back to Lazard because that dude is my guy, and then he's got drops, and it's like, well, now he's not my guy anymore. Well, let's try Randall. Well, Randall is old now, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You go out and get a home run tight end that you can trust. You get Christian Watson, who you can trust, and you got Romeo Dobbs taking a step, along with 
your running back duo, whoever that may be, A.J. Dillon and Jones and or some fourth-round guy that's doing a great job for us. I don't know. I'm good with it. We, we, we really... And I, and I trust Gutekunst. He's done a great job. He's done a great job. Not perfect. He's had bad drafts and all that stuff, but I think clearly an above-average drafter and an unbelievably skilled um, evaluator of NFL talent and being able to find those hidden gems that are going to be a great fit for our team. I've never seen anything like it, aside from maybe Bill Belichick. And I mean that. I mean, the ability to go out and get no-name people to come over and just fill... I mean, Rudy Ford feels like a Bill Belichick thing. But even even to some degree, this is even better because he goes and finds those guys, and they're not just role players. Razul Douglas was significantly more than just a role player. Devondre Campbell was significantly more than just a role player. Sharon Reed's a role player, you know? But he does such... So, so I trust him. But the question is, can we actually put these pieces together? That was the issue. We have a good roster. But it just, it never got going. And even at the end, you just saw it collapse because, you know, it, it's it's kind of like we're, another stupid analogy for me, but you got this class project due and you've got a bunch of great materials and you've got a great idea and you're going to put this model together and it's going to be super freaking awesome. But the problem is you're waiting till the last minute and you're putting it all together and it's not looking super pretty because you're rushed and you're using super glue and you're kind of trying to put this stuff together and it just starts falling apart because you're running up to the front of the class and it's not set yet. Point is, we're not ready. And that was kind of what Aaron Rodgers said at the end at his press conference as well. We're a few pieces short and I think the pieces could very well be on this roster right now. We just weren't quite ready. And the pieces we need just aren't quite where they need to be. And even the ones that are, again, it just, it doesn't quite work. Christian Watson is ready, but we couldn't get it working. Whether it was, again, the offensive line would fail, or Rodgers wasn't looking, or it was a bad throw, or what a Rod, or, or Watson's, you know, especially early on, his routes were not what they were supposed to be. I think we have the guys. We just got to figure out how to put it back together and do a better job. And I'm excited because we get to add more guys. So on top of everything kind of, coming together, we also get some additional pieces. And I think we can, at this point, trust that Gutekunst, whether we're getting pick 7 or pick 15 or pick 25, he's going to find some dudes. And I'm pretty excited about that. And and by the way, and, and listen, a wide receiver is always going to be the biggest conversation with, with the Packers. Unless, unless and until they have three Christian Watsons, that conversation will never end. But I will say this. We do have we we have a guy now in Christian for sure. We have potentially a guy in Dobbs. So maybe this is not going to be high on our radar. But I feel like for years, Gutekunst has been trying to get that early round receiver. We just have never really been in that spot. We've always been drafting in the 20s. Like they wanted Jefferson. And then he went off the board and we're like, all right, we'll take Jordan. Because that's the next best thing. We wanted guys in this draft class, whether, you know, Alave, this, that, and the other. And Rodgers even flat out said it. We had five guys with first round grades. And they all went, and so we went to plan B. And that's when we took Quay and Devontae Wyatt, and then later traded up for Watson in the second. Um, So he's always wanted it, and now we're in a better position right now. If that is the case, if if we're still looking at it, which we may not be, but you're talking about uh, Quentin Johnston. He's sitting right there. Jordan Addison, I mean, potentially the best player in the draft. Right now he's considered um, 10th on, on this consensus big board. That's not that far. 
If we if we if we really wanted to trade up for what we believe to be the best wide receiver in the draft, you could do it. Quentin Johnston is right there where we're drafting. Jackson Smith and Jigba is right there where we're drafting. The top three guys, and there's only really three right now, um, are sitting right there. Or and and this was uh, who was it that sent me this on Twitter? Oh, Monty, you're talking about a potential second round swing. Although you know it does feel like a Packers thing to do to take them at pick 15 or whatever. I think we're at pick 15, right? I keep saying that, but I'm not positive. I looked at it once and then left. Probably should have opened with that. Yes, the Packers are at pick 15, which is not terrible. You know, I mean, this is kind of where I thought we were going to be drafting anyways when I was talking about if we win games, we're going to get pick 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 and miss the playoffs and it's going to be a disaster. We got right to the edge and we're still getting 15. Washington, Pittsburgh, and Detroit get 16, 17, and 18. So we're, we're sitting at 15. It's not a bad spot to sit. You know, I mean, especially if you got, if you're not looking for a quarterback, and I really, I really don't want these quarterbacks. I don't. And maybe one of them is going to be a stud, but I just can't get into it. Maybe Will Levis is going to be the next uh, uh, Josh Allen. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe the Alabama guy is going to be Kyler Murray for whatever that's worth. Not very much in my estimation. Maybe Stroud is, pff, I don't know, what would Stroud even be? Mac Jones? I, I don't know what he's going to be. Justin Fields without legs which is yikes. But you got those three guys. Then you got, you know, the edge rusher, defense, a bunch of edge and defensive tackle guys that are probably out of our reach. Okay, whatever, fine. But you're talking top offensive pieces, not including quarterback. Look at the, look at the, the whole thing right now. It's defense, defense, quarterback, quarterback, defense, quarterback, defense, defense, cor- uh, defense. And then you get pick 10, Jordan Addison. The top 10 right now, anyways, consensus Defense, which again, I'm not opposed to entirely, but if you're looking for offensive help, the top 10, defense and quarterbacks, and that's it. The first offensive piece is Jordan Addison at pick 10, and that's not out of our reach. To move up five spots to get the top offensive piece in the entire draft, not including quarterback, which by the way, quarterback can't be entirely ruled out, but let's just say for now that we're going to rule it out. It's not a bad thing. And then you get defense, and then Paris Johnson right there, offensive tackle. Well within our reach at pick 12 and then defense, and then Quentin Johnson at 14, right there. Bijan Robinson right at 15. Peter Skaronsky, whose grandfather was a great Green Bay Packers tackle, sitting there at pick 16 from Northwestern. Michael Mayer at 18. All, all these pieces, whatever we want is right at our disposal. We're just missing out on quarterbacks and some good defensive line players. Oh shucks. Jackson Smith and Jigba, right there. Brian Branch, right there. Roderick Jones, Osiris Torrance, interior offensive lineman at pick 24. Jameer Gibbs running back. And then Jalen, oh, I didn't even say it. Jalen, how did I get off on a tangent? I didn't even say it. It was, uh, man, I don't even know how to track myself here. Monty was talking about Jalen Hyatt, who is just this second-round pick speedster. And what I was saying is it would make sense for the Packers to trade up and get a guy like that. But the point is, you get a guy like that, and now you got a Christian Watson, and then a guy who's faster than Christian Watson, potentially, which is stupid. And again, if you want to be, if you want to just turn the Packers into the Miami Dolphins, there you go. Done deal. Jalen Hyatt. Trade back out of pick 15, draft Jameer Gibbs and Jalen Hyatt, call it a day. Just give away. We'll, we'll donate the rest of our picks. We're good. <laughs> so... I, I think we're in a good spot. And, and and again, 15 puts us in a great range. If we really want to be aggressive, we can trade up. And, and as, as far as offensive pieces, 
there really aren't too many people out of our range. Now, wide receivers tend to go early, so you might see Addison go, you know, pick six, pick seven, something like that. Who knows? Quentin Johnston might go early. That tends to happen to us, right? The wide receivers go flying off way earlier than anticipated, and we're kind of out of luck. But again, it doesn't have to be offensive line. If, if the, or the wide receivers, if they fly off the board, people, other people fall. You know, you get some of these defensive pieces that should be top 10. Um, Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. If, if the wide receivers go too early, maybe a guy like that falls. Who's right now consensus pick seven. Guys going too early isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just means that value is falling closer to you. So I'm excited to dig in. Excited to get into it. Put that last season in the rear view. And, and, and I think that is my, my overall summary, at least for now. I think we've got some pieces. It just was not, it wasn't ready. You know, the season took off too early. So anyways, I have to force myself out of here as much as I want to keep talking about this. You guys have a fantastic day, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.